when we show up at work, whether we're a leader or not, but certainly as leaders with responsibility for others, our behavior like adds the flavor to the people we're with in a massive degree and therefore massive responsibility. And if we are unhappy, if we are sad, if we are angry, if we are frustrated, you know, we are projecting these things out either very direct or very indirect. We just are. And then we basically bring that on to the people we're responsible for their well-being. Hi, everyone. I'm Andy Vasley, and today on the show, Rasmus Hogard, the founder and CEO of The Potential Project. In our conversation, we'll speak about the work he does bringing mindfulness into the workplace and the impact this has not only on the organization, but also leadership. So before getting into the discussion today with Rasmus, I must admit that I have followed his work for years. So it is a true honor to have him on the show. He is the founder and CEO of Potential Project and the author of the groundbreaking and best-selling book by Harvard Business Review Press, The Mind of the Leader. That's the one I first read in 2018, and I actually used that book to frame up my own professional inquiry around my role as a leader and a coach. So Rasmus is nominated by Thinkers50 as one of the eight most important leadership thinkers in the world today. That's pretty impressive. He writes for Fortune, Harvard Business Review, Fast Company, Forbes, and Business Insider. He is also a highly sought-after keynote speaker and leadership developer who coaches and supports C-suite executives at global organizations such as IKEA, Accenture, Walmart, and Unilever. His newest book, Compassionate Leadership, How to Do Hard Things in a Human Way, was published by Harvard Business Review Press in January 2022. As you will see from the conversation, Rasmus has lived a very unique life that you will hear about in our interview. We are going to cover lots of ground in our chat today from living a mindful life to leadership development to dealing with trauma and helping organizations to thrive. There are many themes we will dive into in our discussion today. So let's pick it up with Rasmus introducing himself and talking about what life was like for him growing up on a small remote island on the Baltic Sea. Okay, Rasmus, we we just had a short chat before I hit record, and uh, I in that short chat I thank you very much for your life's body of work because it has impacted my role and my work and my responsibilities so much. So it is truly an honor to have you on the show. I appreciate your time and energy, and I'm very grateful that my listeners can hear about your work and your life story. So thank you in advance for your time and energy and the conversation today. My pleasure and honor. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you. 
So let's just jump right into just to set the context and the, you know, provide a frame for our discussion today. Can you let, even though the listeners heard a bit about you in the intro, can you just let us know who you are, where you're from, and what early life was like for you? Hmm. Hmm. Uh, I'm a happy dude from Denmark. I think that's the short answer. <laughs> I am, uh, I live on a houseboat with uh, my three kids and two cats in the harbor of Copenhagen and uh, have had a a wonderful life i have to say with its ups and downs but overall it's been a wonderful experience and uh, i used to be a researcher i've spent some i don't know many years in monasteries around the world mm -hmm. practicing deep meditation and um and then i'm the founder of this thing called potential project which brings together contemplative wisdom traditions with uh, research and science and with business and leadership so basically the those three things comprise of an organization that ultimately helps large organizations like Accenture and Microsoft and Cisco and mm -hmm. so on to basically create more human world of work that's in essence what we do and early life like what what kind of memories do you have growing up in Denmark and mm -hmm. uh, w were you born in Copenhagen no fortunately i was born on a on a on a small island in the Baltic Sea okay. um very beautiful island not many people a lot of uh, free thinkers some hippies and then some locals and it was just an environment of deep peace and calm that was you know I was coming it was a we were a poor family we didn't have butter on the bread uh, literally uh, we mm -hmm. didn't have TV so it was a very uh it was a very present uh, uh, childhood and youth. You know, I lived in the, I spent most of my time in the woods and on the rocks down to the water. And so my my early life was just very protected, wonderful family, wonderful parents, Beautiful. great friends, small school. Yeah, that was my early life. Uh, and I have lots of quotes up on my walls here for inspiration. And I had a quote when I thought about you and your work. And now I want to, I wasn't planning on sharing the quote. But now that you, I know more about you, um, the quote is from Khalil Gibran. And what he says mm -hmm. is, when you are born, your work is placed in your heart. Mm. And I really believe that at times. I believe mm. sometimes in life we find our path much later. Mm. But in some cases, we find it early on. And what I want to ask you is if we could see if I was a fly on the wall in your elementary classroom, let's say you're a grade four <laughs> student. Um, what type of student were you at that time like what were your mm. interests and what were your strengths and mm. how was it that you showed up to learn in the classroom each day mm. you know for example engage bored distracted mm. focused mm. whatever it is but mm. uh yeah just just share what what the listeners what we would see if we could see a a young rasmus in the classroom uh. <laughs> I think I would have been very calm, like I was so in tune with nature and life in general. And so I was probably a very calm kid. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I enjoyed school. I enjoyed learning, I found it relevant. And uh, yeah, I, I think I was just a good, easy student. Did you find it relevant because your teachers made it rele relevant to you? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was a small, very tiny public school. We were seven seven kids in my class. Oh, wow. And the teachers, they were not trained teachers. They were just parents who had, you know, interest in things. And uh, 
So they made things extremely relevant for us. Awesome. Yeah, I remember one week we had to learn about uh, windmills and how to create power out of that. Then we basically camped out at a farmer's place who was building a wind turbine. And uh, that was like learning, just hanging around, seeing the cranes and all that stuff. It was awesome. That's amazing. (laughs) And when you think of your elementary or high school teachers and back then, back in the day, and if they could have projected forward to your future and see your your life now, hmm. would they be surprised by the work you're doing now to serve the world? Or would they yeah. say, yes, for sure, that is the work Rasmus was always meant to do? No, I don't think they would say that. I mean, they would not say that I was meant to do that work. I think I was a very unimpressive kid, not in any bad way, just... You know, I was content and I had no big aspirations or needs to do anything else. That only changed when I was 29. Um, but up until then, I was, you know, just going along. I became a little bit older. I traveled to Nepal. I started to meditate and that kind of became my path together with, with research. But no honesty aspirations of mm. doing anything else. I had a, a brother, my, my big brother, who was a, a, a year older than myself who was like this extremely uh, passionate about human rights, about poverty. uh, And he did his uh, degree at university and traveled to Africa and to, and he was really, you know, he was saving the world. Mm -hmm. And because he was doing that, I kind of just followed in his slipstream of just, you know, someone is taking care of the world so I can just take care of my family, my inner life. And um, so I don't think when as as a kid that I was uh, that anybody would have seen me as uh, oh this this guy is gonna go do something something mm-hmm. great honestly. Yeah, were you more uh, introverted in nature or extroverted? Certainly today I'm way more introverted, and back then I think I was introverted. Though I loved being around my friends, but I did spend a lot of time just on my own, sitting in a tree or sitting in the garden or sitting and looking at the ocean. So when I prepare for my podcasts, it's actually quite a bit of work because I have to spend a lot of time doing research in an effort to learn as much as I possibly can about each guest, obviously. With Rasmus, I was not able to find too much about his personal life. So hearing about his childhood was awesome as it really helped to frame up the rest of the conversation. And as I listened to his story and kind of imagining him growing up on that small island, it became very evident to me that Rasmus had a very mindful life that was naturally interwoven into his early years. And it was this type of mindful upbringing that allowed him to better understand himself and others. We've all met certain people at times in our life when we can tell right away that they are completely meant to do the work that they do. And I think Rasmus is a perfect example of this. I wanted to take a moment to include a short audio clip from a TEDx-style talk that Rasmus gave in Australia a few years ago. And in this talk, Rasmus shared the work he does and why it is so important. 
And I think just including this little snippet from his talk in Australia will set further context for you so you can better understand his thinking and why he has devoted his life to the work that he does. So let's pick it up with Rasmus on the stage sharing his thoughts. All right, I was not here to talk about Australians. I'm here to talk about how to get more success and well-being at work by training mindfulness. And that's a topic that I've been really, really passionate about for quite a few years. I have a background doing research in organizational development and how do we as adults learn and grow and become better at what we're doing. And a background in the corporate world. And then I have a very long background practicing and teaching mindfulness. And my passion over the last 10 years has been developing this organization potential project that brings mindfulness into very large organizations around the world to improve performance, to improve success, to improve well-being as well. And we work with many, many very large organizations. As you can see, blue chip companies, very high performing. These guys are actually embracing the concept of mindfulness. And when I travel around the world and ask these people, why do you actually, why do you actually implement long programs, spend a lot of time investing money in bringing mindfulness into the organization? All of them, regardless of being it Australia or Asia, Europe or North America, they all say that they're facing what we now call the paid reality. And the paid reality is a place where you're under pressure, where you are just clicking, where you're under pressure, where you're always on, where you're information overloaded and where you're distracted or working in environments that are really distracted. How many of you guys in here find that you are working and living in a paid reality. Please put up your hands. Okay, so that's about almost all of you. Welcome to the paid reality. What's happening in the paid reality is that our attention comes under siege. Our attention comes under a lot of pressure, and that has impact on the success and the well-being that we have at work. And what I'm going to talk about over the next 15 minutes is how can you use mindfulness to overcome this paid reality and have more success, have better performance, but also have a better life and be better human beings. next part of the conversation, you will hear Rasmus speak very honestly about what it is he feels most compelled to share with the world through his work and the leadership training that he does. So you heard him on the stage in Australia, and <clears throat> that's just a two-minute clip from an 18-minute talk that he gave that was very, very interesting and insightful into more specifics with the work that he does. But for now, we're just going to jump over to what he feels most compelled to share with the world through his work. So here is the next part. I, I think of another quote now that I'm, I'm 
sharing quotes, uh, the second quote of the podcast, but Carl Jung says, uh, your vision will become clear only when you can look in your own heart. Who looks mm. outside dreams, who looks mm. inside mm. awakes. Yeah. When you think of your life's body of work, which is extraordinary, uh, what is it that you now, based on your learning journey, based on mm. the present moment now mm. and where you're at in your life, uh, what is it that you now feel most compelled to share with the world? Mm. It is as simple as this. If we find inner peace, peace with ourselves and our emotions and our trauma and everything, then we make peace in the outer world. Mm -hmm. Like kids that behave badly, it's not because they're bad kids, it's because they feel bad. And when mm -hmm. they feel bad, they project that badness outwards. And, you know, it's the same for teenagers. It's the same for adults and old people. Mm -hmm. And so if we want to create something positive in the world, we need to start with ourselves and our inner lives and ultimately make peace with who we are. Mm -hmm. And if we can do that, you know, we will become all tiny, small minion agents of, of, of peace in the world. So I think that's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And are you familiar with Dr. Gabor Mate's work? Yeah, I yeah. am. Yeah. So my wife just finished. Uh, well, she's still training under him, but she just uh, she trained for three years and became certified in compassionate inquiry, mm. and it's become her life's body of work. Wonderful. And through, you know, I was by her side the whole time, watching all the videos, taking notes. Right, although I was <laughs> registered in the course. And I come from a background of a lot of dysfunction and addiction and depression and mm. and just better understanding Gabor's work mm. allowed me and, and also embracing mindfulness. You know, my mm. wife and I have lived a very mindful life for probably the last 10 or 15 years and really understanding that it's about sitting with difficult emotions and building mm. the skill of sitting with difficult emotions. And Gabor's yeah. quote is, the attempt to escape pain creates yeah. more of it. Yeah, yeah. And and that's what I learned through the three years of watching videos and of her program. Yeah. And it allowed me to better kind of understand and sit with the pain and trauma yeah. and to understand where I was storing it yeah. in my yeah. body. So yeah. what is your advice to people who are struggling, mm. who um, avoid sitting with pain uh, mm. in order to really understand that they need to sit with the pain to mm. kind of move through it and let it pass through them. And mm. maybe it's not one particular answer, but just can you mm. just share thoughts based on your yeah. experience? Yeah. First of all, it's hard. It's it's hard. And, um, and therefore, it's hard to also give advice because in my own experience, it helps to have someone to guide you, to have someone who can you know, almost take you by the hand, whether that's virtually or in a retreat or setting or so. But it, it, if you have pain and you sit down, you will feel that pain. And none of us like pain, so then we escape it. As you said, that resistance to sitting with it makes the pain even worse. And then we go out and do drugs or we do other things that just makes it even worse. But while we're doing it, it pushes the pain away and therefore we just keep repeating this pattern. So... So in my own experience, curiosity is a good um, is a good mindset rather than looking at our pain or whatever we have and say, oh, I don't want it. 
just to have a little bit of, huh, I, I wonder what it actually is. Mm-hmm. And if I just give it like one minute or two minutes, forget about like a 10 day retreat, but just, I give it just one minute. I'll just let it show itself and I'll just see what it is just with a bit of curiosity. Yeah, you, we can learn a lot from that, even just one minute of sitting with whatever comes up. Yeah, and that's, you know, based on I'm, I'm doing a lot of work right now around the neuroscience of optimal performance. And and uh, one of the uh, podcasts I listen to quite frequently is Andrew Huberman, mm-hmm. um, who is from Stanford. And uh, he was recently on a podcast with Jordan Peterson. And they talked about this idea of the the power that lies in creating alternative perspectives or look mm. creating alternative uh viewpoints mm. and how sitting with pain mm. or sitting with trauma mm. and to allow yourself to just create alternative perspectives mm. at a subconscious level sends yeah. a cascading of neurochemicals that taps into our parasympathetic mm. nervous system yeah. and calms us but it's a skill you know yeah, yeah it is and yeah. as you said like sitting with somebody whether it be somebody close to you or whether it be a therapist but finding mm. that that person who you connect mm. deeply with mm. that can guide you through it yeah So I have to set the frame for the next part of the conversation because in the next part of the conversation, Rasmus and I pivot in a direction that I truly did not expect. As a podcast host, I mentioned before that I need to be prepared. And oftentimes in podcasts, you never know where the conversation is going to go. So you have to pivot and shift at times. Sometimes I have to ask a completely different question than I was expecting or in the moment drop any intentionality I might have as important conversations can unfold in so many different ways, not only on a podcast, but in life in general. When I think about the next part of our conversation, a few quotes come to mind about trauma and healing. The first quote is from Dr. Gabor Mate when he says, Trauma is not what happens to you. Trauma is what happens inside of you as a result of what happened to you. As well, Nelson Mandela once said that we all have to learn to know ourselves, to search realistically and regularly the processes of our own mind and feelings. And lastly, another quote that comes to mind is a very powerful one from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, a Swiss-American psychiatrist, a pioneer in near-death studies, and author of an internationally best-selling book on death and dying, where she first discussed her theory of the five stages of grief. And what Elizabeth said was, If you shield the mountain from the windstorms, you'll never see the beauty in its carvings. Life is indeed a journey we must all go through in our own unique ways. And I'm framing this up because in a moment you will hear Rasmus talk about his brother's suicide. 
and how he had to learn to deal and cope with the grief and trauma that arose from his brother's death. Rasmus says that each of us has our own journey of healing and nobody can walk that path but ourselves. In listening to what Rasmus went through in finding his brother's body, I must admit I was very triggered emotionally. I hadn't expected to have this conversation, so I was pulled right back to my own brother's suicide and the enormous pain that I felt in knowing he had taken his own life. At that point in our conversation, I was obviously very emotional. Rasmus could see that it was tough for me, but extended deep loving kindness to me in that moment. Just to allow me to kind of work through it, but obviously feeling a sense of shame, I told him I was intending to cut that part out of the podcast, but in looking back, I should have no shame whatsoever for the feelings that I had in that moment. Understanding trauma, being able to talk about it, and not being afraid to make ourselves vulnerable at times is a truly important step in anyone's healing journey. So I've decided to keep our conversation as it was, unedited. Rasmus offers such deep insight to us all about the learning that can come from navigating our own journeys in a way that allows us to come out better on the other side for having gone through it. Let's jump right into our conversation now. think it's really important and then at the same time also to know it is your journey and nobody can take that journey away from you nobody can walk the path for you 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 have to you know go on your own journey and so not to project anything into any person or book or dogma Mm -hmm. thinking that that's going to save you or solve things for you Mm -hmm. at all i was um you know, from I was 17, I, I, I spent a lot of time in, in meditation and really learned to sit with myself, but also guided by a lot of wonderful teachers like Dalai Lama and so on. And, um, and when I was 29, uh, my brother and he had depression and took his own life. Like I know was the case for, for, for your brother or one of your brothers mm-hmm. as well. Yes. Yeah. And, and in the moment that I found him and like took him down and, put him on a bed and took care of that dead body. I just knew in that moment that I had two options. And that was just a very deep, strong knowing, you know, either I would go crazy or I would have to really work through this to, and my motivation was I had two very young kids at that time, um, you know, to be a good father. That was ultimately my purpose. And, um, and I just, on, on that day, I could not engage in anything that was not my reality. Like I had to be deeply present with every single emotion that came up because I realized that if I tried to escape it, like if I tried to read a book or watch a movie or engage in a conversation about something not that, I would suppress that emotion for a while and then it would come back so strong and so fierce and so hard. 
And so for 10 months, I was basically just being deeply, deeply present every single hour of the day to just that experience. And what was deeply fascinating, I thought I would be traumatized for life by this experience, like finding the person that was closest to me in this life, finding him dead. But after 10 months, I felt that the whole sense of trauma, the whole sense of regrets of fear of losing others the 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 pain all of it just had gone from simply just allowing it the space that it needed to emerge through me like the whole system cleansing itself it was an incredible process and also the process that like threw me into as you call the the life's work the, mm -hmm. the work that i've done because i had to ask myself so if smart people that do good work in the world can suddenly end their lives like this because their mind is not in the right place, what can I do to help prevent that? Basically, in this short lifetime that I have, what can I do to, to help as many people as possible to find that inner peace that makes them have a good life and do good to others? And that's you know how Potential Project came about. So I'll just say trauma all the difficult stuff first of all it's real material for our own process and mm -hmm. for finding our passion and purpose and, and 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 the power to do important things in, in in life yeah and i didn't know that story about you so i'll cut part of this out Yeah, take your time. Um, Give yourself a moment, Andy. Just sit with it. It's okay. Um, when I when I tried to work through my brother's death, uh, when he committed suicide. I almost felt a sense of guilt for mm. for not uh, grieving more, mm. and we uh, we went back to Canada for his uh, funeral. And I I'm a runner, so I went and I ran, and I shared this in my TED talk. But it was um, in that moment where, well, at later where I realized like physical activity for me was always a way to. Uh, allow me to deal with life and mm. trauma and whatever. And I was out on a run, and uh, his apartment was literally a kilometer from my wife's mother's house. And I couldn't even look at the apartment building because I could see it. And mm. he committed suicide in his apartment. Mm. So I ran in the opposite direction, and I kept running, and it was a snowstorm, and I, I knew I had to turn around eventually, and I was already like almost 10 kilometers out, and I turned around, and I ran like right to his apartment building. And in that moment, I, uh, you know, I, I could only say that I'm so sorry for the pain you felt, mm. you know, and I, I've been gone from Canada. Uh, I'm so sorry for the pain you felt, but I promise to devote my life mm. to a better cause. 
to serve you and the talents you had. And, uh, you know, I moved on from that and, you know, over the years it still comes back to me, but, um, I know that, um, you know, I, I've done the best I could with my life to honor his, uh, in order to work through that experience. And, um, so it, it's, it's very intense at times and it, you know, but I, I still feel a sense of guilt for not having sat with it long enough. Mm, mm. Um, but then I forgive myself and I say, I had two young boys at the time and mm. you know, a beautiful family that I eternally grateful for. And, and yeah. that changed my perspective that I, it's not that it was self-preservation, but it was like, this is what I need to focus on because mm. this is my future. This is, you know, this is what's most important. And this is yeah. what he would have wanted from me. So, yeah. um, you know, just in hearing that in, and again, the, a quote that I have is from a previous guest of mine who's a performance psychologist uh, who uh, I admire his work, Dr. Jim Lair. And what he says is the power broker in your life is the voice that no one hears. How well you revisit the tone and content of your private voice is what determines the quality of your life. Mm. It's the master storyteller and the stories we tell ourselves create our reality. Mm. So it's going back to that internal work, internal narrative, mm-hmm. and and yeah. all of your talks about leadership, about life, about mindfulness, transcend the workplace, mm-hmm. you know, and they're so applicable to everything that we do in life. And it's about, as you say, doing the internal work. In the following part of the conversation, Rasmus and I are going to discuss the importance of mindfulness in the workplace and the way the best leaders show up with consistency in order to have a positive impact on those around them. And as he says, whether it be a daily mindfulness practice or going to retreats, the best leaders know how to best deal with unresolved issues in their life in a way that allows these issues or roadblocks to emerge in order to ultimately set them free. And by doing so, leaders are able to manage their emotions in a much better way and develop a deeper sense of genuine compassion and empathy for those who they serve. Let's pick up the conversation now. So when you think about the importance of mindfulness as it relates to leadership mm. and helping to create the conditions for optimal performance in the workplace, mm. um, can you just share a little bit about uh, why it's so important and and what leaders in particular need to be aware of, mm. especially based on current times? Mm. Yeah, that's a big question. I'll try and... I'll try and just look at ultimately what it is when when we show up at work, whether we're a leader or not, but certainly as leaders with responsibility for others, our behavior like adds the flavor to the people we're with. 
in a massive degree and therefore massive responsibility and if we are unhappy if we are sad if we are angry if we are frustrated you know we are projecting these things out either very direct or very indirect we just are and then we basically bring that on to the people we're responsible for their well-being and therefore it's a massive responsibility for us to spend that time whether that's a daily practice or whether that is going into a retreat once in a while to really look at ourselves and give ourselves the space for the things that are unresolved to emerge mm -hmm. and as they emerge to set them free you know that's basically the that's basically what happens if we give it space it emerges and it sets itself free we don't even need to do anything and when we do that, we start to become a clearer voice. We start to become a better person. We start to have more clarity about what's the right thing to do. And we thereby consciously or subconsciously show up as, as, as better people. Mm -hmm. So that space and silence that we give ourselves, whether that is through meditation or prayer or can be art, or for some people it could be running, is what gives us the inner strength and managing the inner game of, of, of leadership. And without that, you know, it's kind of random what comes out. And therefore, we pass on shit to others, which yeah. is our shit yeah. for us to deal with. Gabor recently said in one of his videos, so he went to a shaman recently. And uh, the shaman, he was running a workshop. And it was in uh, northern Canada. And uh, the shaman was like, stop you can't facilitate this workshop with us because there is a heavy dark aura coming from you mm. and he was the one supposed to facilitate the workshop wow and he describes it as like he was kind of like taken aback and he was like whoa and and they decided to work with him one-on-one -on -one yeah to release his trauma and what they what he Gabor realized and Gabor was so much more lighthearted after the experience because he's a very yeah. serious guy yeah yeah and what he said was um he has done so much deep work around healing other people's trauma that he absorbed mm. it all yeah yeah and it was in him so it wasn't even his own trauma because he had dealt with his own trauma mm. but mm. he had absorbed other people's trauma and then through the one-to-one -one work with um, the shamans, he was able to release it over three or four days. Mm. And he said it made a profound difference. And you could you yeah. could hear him in his in his Zoom calls and stuff. He was so much mm. more buoyant and yeah. light and joking yeah. Yeah. because he had released it. And it's that idea yeah. of of passing it through. Yeah, yeah. You know, so yeah. that's such great advice for leaders like who think it's about their professional work and it always comes back to the personal yeah. you know yeah. and and to understand the triggers in september of 2022 rasmus wrote a brilliant leadership strategy article for forbes magazine entitled direct leaders are faster, smarter, and better. The article focused on creating a workplace environment where caring candor is emphasized, encouraged, and supported at all times. 
I've actually included a link to the article in the show notes of our episode in case you want to read it or share it with your own leadership team at work. In the next part of the conversation, Rasmus and I talk about how the best leaders create the psychological safety needed for people to speak their truth in respectful, compassionate, and supportive ways with one another in order to allow the conversations needed for true growth and learning. Here's the conversation now. But you wrote an amazing article, September 22, called Direct Leaders Are Faster, Smarter, Better. Hmm. And I, I read the article in preparation for this uh, interview, and I'm going to link the article to the show notes. But you talk about caring candor. Mm. And I just want to read something here, then I have a question for you. But you say that one of the main benefits of caring candor is simple. It's faster. When we beat around the bush and don't get to the point, we are wasting everyone's time. When we are direct, we get to the heart of the matter and allow people to engage in important conversation about mm -hmm. what comes next. Yeah, Many leaders have a hard time being candid because they feel it comes across as being harsh. Mm -hmm. So when you think of leadership and kind of sometimes being that a knowledge authority and mm -hmm. working above people instead of beside people, mm -hmm. You know, I think that candor is also a two-way street. So mm. leaders have difficulty expressing candor and 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 feedback, but it's a two-way street. So how can organizations create the psychological safety to needed for feedback and candor to go two mm. directions from mm. leadership down, but also mm. the workers up? Mm. So in your experience, you've worked with amazing organizations around the world. What do the best leaders do to put themselves in a position to receive mm. candor and feedback mm. as mm. opposed to not only feel a pressure to deliver it down. Mm. Yeah. Mm. You know, it's a mindset. It's a, it's a belief. It basically comes down to who we are and what we believe in. And, and um, again, to the point, what we have inside of us, we project out. If we believe consciously or subconsciously in a, in a hierarchical structure of, you know, I have more power, therefore I give the feedback and don't ask for the feedback, then that's what we're going to project. So it all comes down to what are our beliefs? What is it that we are brought up with or that we deeply think is the right thing? And so that's the level we need to work at. If, if we show up with that attitude of, hey, I'm the boss, I'm going to tell you how you should do things differently. We've got work to do yeah. because... The problem for, you know, now I'm, a, you know, running a, a, a global company. If I'm not asking for feedback, people don't give it because it's just a natural thing in human beings, hierarchies, all of this. So I'm very deliberate about asking for feedback from time to time from random people. If we've had a meeting with a client, you know, hey, how do you think I did? Or if there's been a, a conflict or something, just asking for people's feedback. If I don't do that, I get in the trouble that I don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. And I have to be very deliberate about it. So I think a big part of it for us as, as leaders is to be very deliberate about not seeing ourselves at a higher level or smarter or anything, even if we are, it doesn't matter. When it comes to feedback, performance, and so on, we can all learn from each other. We need to see ourselves at the same level that, that as, as everybody else. It doesn't matter who we are. 
And only when we do that, we create that psychological safety with that. Everybody starts to ask for feedback and feedback and candor is the thing that starts to flow and not being stilted and, 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 and stale in the, in the, in the ecosystem. But it takes courage to, you know, I think of Theodore Roosevelt's quote about the man in the arena, which is like, credit belongs to the man in the arena whose face mm. is marred with blood, sweat, and dust. Mm. Who put themselves there. They chose to be there. They're not, you know, so they're not going to listen to feedback from the people in the cheap seats, as Brene yeah. Brown says. Yeah. Right? They're going to listen to feedback from the people that are also in the arena. Mm. whose face is marred with blood, sweat, and dust because yeah, they yeah. put themselves there. They push them to the edge themselves to the edge of their capacity yeah. to to put themselves in the arena as well. Yeah. yeah. So it's a culture of putting yourself in the arena. Yeah. yeah. So it's also letting go of something within ourselves to put ourselves yeah. in the arena. Yeah. Yeah. And do you feel confident in your heart that the world is moving in the right direction in terms mm. of leadership or do you feel that there's still a lot of work need needing to be done <laughs> certainly a lot of le uh, work needing done and moving in the right, the right direction and then comes the possibly depressing uh quote you know history moves in in, in in pendulum swings and right now we're definitely on a swing towards the more humane the less hierarchical and so on but what comes after this is determined by what are the conditions of the world and if we're going into massive climate crisis, which we most likely are, I think we're going to go back to a much more top-down survival structured uh, way of engaging with each other. So it all depends on the conditions. Yeah, top-down with heart, hopefully. In the next part of the conversation, we talk about the evolution of Rasmus's learning related to mindfulness, leadership, and productivity, and how his thinking has changed as a result of his own journey, and having written three books over the years on these themes. I could tell that he was thinking uh, as he kind of thought about the question I had asked. He was definitely brought back to a childhood and the type of culture he grew up in, and how this type of free thinking had such a strong impact in his later life and work. He also discusses a bit about what he has learned about the challenges of leadership, and how the focus of his work has shifted somewhat over the course of writing these three books. Let's listen now to what it was he shared. Um, yeah. And in, in our time left, I know our time is limited. Uh, I want to take people through. So in the introduction, I, I mentioned your books, but uh, One Second Ahead, The Mind of the Leader, which was very powerful in my own journey, and The Compassionate Leader. So what I want to ask you um, in our remaining minutes is uh, take us through the ev evolution of your own learning related to mindfulness, leadership, and productivity. Mm. You know, it's been going on for many years, of course, your learning and evolution of learning, mm. but um, how has your thinking changed from one second ahead to the mind of the leader, to the mm. compassionate leadership book mm. you recently released in uh, mm. January, 2022. So 
what have been your big aha moments, despite being a lifelong learner invested mm. in bettering yourself to serve the world? Yeah. What has been your aha moments and, and what advice do you have to people and mm. uh, in relation to that? Yeah. Yeah. First of all, there are, there are two answers to it. The, the, the first one is the bigger one, which is, I don't think I have evolved that much, honestly. Uh, you had the quote from uh, Khalil Gibran before, and I can't paraphrase the quote, but born in your heart. It, yeah. The, yes. The so I, I, I grew in up in this very egalitarian, very free thinking society. And my parents who were both in leadership positions were just extremely humble and very just like flat structured. That's how I grew up. And, you know, that's what, that's what my whole philosophy or dogma or books or research, whatever, that's basically what it's propagating. So honestly, I think I'm just unraveling what's already in myself that awesome. was fed to me. And that may sound very depressing because that means all this big work. Yeah, it sounds like a, it sounds like a lifelong gift. Yeah. I, and I think there's a lot of truth to that. Having said that, of course, there's some very practical and pragmatic and important learnings around becoming very real about the challenges of leadership from the first book, which was not so much about leadership to the second, which was more of a theoretical approach to, or like unfolding of leadership to the last one, you know, it has the tagline of um, how to do hard things in a human way. And having become a more senior leader increasingly year by year myself and working more and more with more and more senior leaders the realization that leadership is really 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 hard because humans are born with altruism with the intention and desire to be good and do good to others and in the leadership positions we have to do restructures layoffs all the bad things that people you know, that's basically destroying people's lives. And, and we are responsible for that. That's not easy. That is so hard. Like just before the summer, I had to lay off a whole department or a company. It is, it is so hard. Mm -hmm. So being very real about how hard it is to be leader and therefore also much more granular about what are the mindsets and what are the behaviors we need to show up with so we can do these hard things, but without corrupting our own heart and our own you know intentions of doing goods because that happens so easy for us as leaders that we come into the leadership role with all good intentions then we have to lay someone off and we go in either of the two directions either we don't lay that person off because we're caught in empathetic mm -hmm. hijack so we just cannot get ourselves to do something hard so we don't lay people off we don't uh, give feedback we don't do all the hard things or we kill our emotions and just become really hard people. So either we're too soft or we're too hard. And both of those suck. From a, You talked about psychological safety. Both of those scenarios create really toxic workplaces. It is only when we're able to do hard things in a human way that we can give the feedback, but in a caring way, that we can even lay off an entire department, but with full heart and, you know, masterful execution of supporting them practically after that that's when we're good leaders but that is a very 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 difficult journey to go on that that's what i have learned basically leadership 
you know, many leadership experts, you know, soapbox preachers that have come up with all kinds of ideas, you know, until you've been sitting in the, in the tallest seat yourself and having to make these real decisions, it's, you know, you can come up with great theories, but, but it's really hard. And when you're in that seat yourself, you realize that, and you need to be extremely careful about what advice you give. Yeah. And that's the heart and soul and get out of yeah. the cognitive and, and move, move. The cognitive is strategic vision. We're losing money. We're at a deficit. And then the heart and soul is what allows you to deliver the message mm-hmm. with the reality of, of the, the cognitive, the strategic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what you're saying, I, I think in your words, what I hear you say is staying uh, very aligned to the core values that drive you. So aligning your thoughts, your words, your actions um, to what is most important. And Mm. and that in itself will connect to the soul of others, Mm. whether they, you know, of course they don't want to hear the news that they're laid off, but if you've delivered Mm. it in a way that connects to your heart, instead of being uh, empathetic hijacking, I love that. Well, and you know that I've never heard that before, uh, or the other side, which is just negate the emotions, um, and just operating from that center point, that North Star. And finally, in the last part of our conversation, Rasmus shares how it is he wants to continue to show up in the world in order to make a genuine difference in people's lives. We discuss the gift that he hopes to one day leave the world through his work. It was a great way to end the conversation. And I sincerely hope that my conversation with Rasmus has helped you to think more deeply about your own purpose and the journey you are on in better understanding yourself. And as he said, it's the internal work That's not easy, but necessary if we are to show up for others in our life in the best way possible to help them shine and thrive and to be their very best. You will be able to find links to Rasmus's work in the show notes of this episode. So I hope that you find him on social media and follow his work and get your hands on copies of his books. They're great. You're going to really enjoy them. And everybody, thank you so much for your time today and for tuning into this episode with Rasmus Hogard. And I hope you come back to listen to future episodes. So in, in closing, I just have one last question. And, and I, I want to share with you... Um, Denzel Washington. Uh, <laughs> you go from the biggest philosophers and amazing people, <laughs> Denzel Washington, who I love dearly. He's an yeah. amazing. And, so now and you got my attention. You had Denzel Washington gave a commencement speech, and what he was saying was he was sharing his own journey in acting and and how he went through. People just see him on stage. People see him making millions of dollars, but they don't know his story. And powerful words he shared was that some of you have the patient, you know, we've all been given gifts in life, you know, some of you have been given the gift of patience, or kindness, or love, or the gift of long suffering, whatever your gift is, know what your gift is, and know 
how you're going to use it to make the world a better place and to make yourself the best version of yourself possible. So when you one day look back at your own life and everything you've accomplished, including all of the people you've impacted through your work, what gift will you be most proud of having given to the world? Mm. It'll have to come back to, to, to the thing we talked about in the very beginning. I hope that I'll been passed on just a little bit of more inner peace to the millions of people that, that we have touched through our work. Because if we have helped people to have a little more inner peace, that means they've shown up with a little more peacefulness. That means they have been part of creating a basically a more peaceful and kinder world. That's beautiful. And a great <laughs> way to end the show. Uh, can you tell people where they can find your work and, and your books? It's very easy on Google, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Where yeah. do you want the listeners to to look for your work? Yeah, if you go on potentialproject.com, uh, that's our company. There, you'll find everything, or you can look for me on on, on LinkedIn. Uh, I think those are the two prime places. The books you can find on Amazon or any bookstore or wherever. Okay, okay, great. Thank you so much for your time. It's, I have a lot of gratitude. Is what I'm trying to say. So, yeah, thank you so much for your time, Rasmus. Pleasure. Andy, thank you so much. So I'm going to close out the show, then I'll just say goodbye to you. So everybody, thank you very much for listening to this episode with Rasmus Hogard, and I hope you come back to listen to future episodes. <laughs>